Proverbs chapter 31 in your Bibles this morning. Proverbs 31 will dismiss our children for our children's ministry. As we turn to Proverbs chapter 31, we want to say uh, congratulations to our mothers and welcome to each and every guest who's here and welcome Canaan Baptist Church to this uh, Sunday, Sunday after revival meeting, Sunday in which God has stoked the fire and, and rekindled uh, many a heart and going deeper in our lives and widening the circle. And we're grateful for that. Proverbs chapter 31, I'm going to take my text this morning from a very familiar passage of Scripture. And I don't know that I've actually have ever preached out of Proverbs 31 on a Mother's Day. And in fact, I'm not even sure if I've preached um, a message out of Proverbs 31. I've used it in a lot of supplemental support. But this morning, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 31. And before you put your seatbelt on, let's stand together and give our respect to the Word of God. I want to direct your attention to two verses. Verse number 10 and verse number 30. Notice verse number 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Notice verse 30. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. The final chapter of the book of Proverbs here, chapter 31, is unique from the rest of the book. It's the only admonition recorded that is given from a mother. And it's the only admonition addressed directly to a king. Proverbs begins with the instruction of a father and now it ends with the instruction of a mother. The book of Proverbs, it begins with the wise words of a father and it ends with the wise words of a mother. The book of Proverbs opens with warnings about an evil woman, but closes with the description of a godly woman. In chapter 1 and verse 18, the father says, my son. In chapter 31 and verse number 2, the mother says, my son. And these bookends, they reinforce the critical truth that the primary place of learning is the home. It's the first and last. The home is a strong defense of our nation. As the home goes, so is the homeland. As the home goes, so goes the nation. I want us to look this morning at some insight and instruction and illumination that God has for us here on Mother's Day as well as for each and every one of us. Thank you. Please be seated. In verse number 1 of chapter 31, the Bible says, The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. This king is the nickname of Solomon. Solomon's mother is Bathsheba. And it says this prophecy this utterance, these oracles. In other words, this is the burden of a mother. And specifically, this mother being Bathsheba. 
I want you to know that the original intended audience was not young women, as this is often presented to be. Proverbs 31 is not about this is what kind of wife you should be. That's not the direct emphasis. But rather, it's young men, this is what kind of wife you should get. This is the kind of wife that God would have you to put your eyes upon. Now, it may seem strange that the virtues of a good wife are directed to young men, but really it's in keeping with the remainder of the whole thrust of the book of Proverbs. Everywhere throughout Proverbs, you find it addressing young men or my son. It's not addressing young women or my daughter. It expounds in great detail on the evils throughout Proverbs, and especially in the earlier portion, you're going to find a heavy emphasis on the dangers, the evils of a loose, a flirtatious woman, and how she is a snare to the young men. It says nothing, however, about lust-filled young men and the threats that they pose for young women. See, Proverbs directs the reader away from the immoral woman trying to get a young man. If you're going to know wisdom, you're going to have to stay away from a loose and flirtatious woman and rather direct your attention towards what a good wife would be, what a good wise woman would be, because it is implied that this reader, that the intended audience here is the young man. Proverbs 18, 22, whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor from the, from the Lord. A good woman described here in Proverbs 31 has every virtue, that wisdom, that a wise person can offer. A young person finds wisdom through three specific relationships, and you'll see this in Proverbs Number one, you'll be, you'll be wise, you'll find wisdom whenever you have the fear of God. A right relationship with God, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. You're going to find wisdom whenever you heed your parents, when you learn to obey and honor your parents. And number three, Proverbs 31, when you find the good wife. See, one gains the fear of God, and one finds a good wife both the same way. They're good gifts from God. You can get your wife from the world, or you can get your wife from God. Proverbs 19, 14, houses and riches are the inheritances of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now you contrast that to the good wife. Proverbs 21 and verse number 9, listen to the contrast of a good wife. It is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house. That was long before the WWE ever came into existence. Proverbs 21, 19, it is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. And this passage here that we're getting ready to look at describes the priorities of a wise, godly woman. It describes the character of a wife and a mother to which every woman should aspire. 
and only tells our young women what type of woman they should strive to become, but it is primarily telling our young boys what type of young lady God says is right for him. It tells us what should be valued in a wife. It says what should be valued in a mother. It also it reminds us what a precious gift our wives of wisdom and our mothers of magnificence really are. It reminds us that we should value virtue, character, integrity, and godliness. It's a call to not take our wives and our mothers for granted, but rather with gratitude. Timothy Dwight, the former president of Yale University, noted, All that I am and all that I shall be I owe to my mother. Napoleon was asked what could be done to restore the prestige of France. His reply was, Give us better mothers. This day, Mother's Day, is one of the most delightful days for many, while it's one of the most difficult days for others. I want you to see and think with me, most important decision you'll ever make in this life is not what you do with your body. Yet we make decisions every day that pertain to our body. We make decisions based upon what are we going to wear, what are we going to eat, what are we going to do. But the Lord Jesus Christ taught that the most important decision you will ever make, it's not primarily with your body, but it is primarily regarding your soul. He asked the question, what would it profit or benefit you if you gained the entire world and its substance and its value, yet you lose your own soul? The most important decision you will make is what will you do with Jesus Christ? If you're going to settle with Jesus as your religious idol, you'll miss God. You'll miss heaven. You'll spend an eternity separated from God in hell. He didn't die on the cross, was buried and resurrected so you could have and enjoy religion. He died, was buried and resurrected so that he could rescue. He could save you. See, there are two kinds of life. There's physical life. That's how you got here. But there's eternal life, and that's how you get to an eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it hinges upon what will you do with Jesus? Are you going to settle with religion and miss heaven and die and go to hell? Or are you going to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ? But the second most important decision in life is perhaps, and I, and I say perhaps, I say confidently, I truly believe the second most important decision you'll make in life after you decide what are you going to do with Jesus, and that pertains to your salvation and to your Christian walk, but the second most important decision is the choice of a spouse. remember hearing Brother Comfort say, and he'll be with us in a couple of weeks, but he would say, your wife is going to make or break your ministry. Like all mothers, Bathsheba desired happiness and success for her son. She realized that his happiness and success would be largely determined by his selection of a wife. So this chapter is her advice about what kind of 
woman he should marry. And it stands as a timeless guide for all young men, as an enduring model for all young women. You, you, you go from verse 1 through verse number 9, and you can find her emphasis here. And then verse number 10 through verse 31, you begin to find the godly characteristic of a wife. Now remember Bathsheba. And she's the one who was part of that adulterous affair in relationship with King David. She was the one whose husband, while intoxicated, had more character than she and King David had while sober. No wonder Bathsheba had a burden for her son Solomon. She did not want Solomon to do what she and David had done. The price was too high. The burden was too heavy, and she could hardly put it into words. That's why it's referenced as a prophecy, as a burden. We can hear her saying, what, my son? What, verse number two, the son of my womb, and what, the son of my vows? What can I say, she's saying? What advice should I give? Her burden was so heavy that it was hard for her to come to grips with. The best she could do was refer to her vows. I don't think she could ever get over, no matter what God for, could forgive, she didn't get over what was done, what had taken place, and her burden was there. We can well believe that Bathsheba may had made some vows. Certainly she made some vows when she went home after that first night with David. One night, one night is all it took. And she was guilty of cheating on her husband and having an affair with King David while her brave husband was away at war. Certainly she made some vows when she learned that she was pregnant and when she went to her husband's funeral. Certainly she made vows when she married David. Certainly she made some vows when her first child was born, when Nathan came and when the baby was buried. Certainly she made some vows when she learned that she was pregnant again and when Solomon was born and when Nathan came full of smiles, the prophet Nathan. Surely she made vows when Ahithophel, her grandfather, committed suicide after he tried to take revenge on David by joining Absalom. What I'm saying is we don't need much imagination to know what she vowed when Solomon was born. She vowed that God helping her, she would live in the spirit of David's revival, repentance of Psalm 51 and do all that a mother could do to bring up her son, to know, to love, and to serve the Lord, the God of all grace. The first and foremost quality of a treasured life found in a treasured wife is not the outer beauty, but the inner character. And this is what the first verse introduces us to as the subject of the passage. This is what is being given to us. 
And this is what verse number 10 describes as it moves into this whole nother section. Who can find a virtuous, who can find an excellent, capable woman of noble character? Verse 10 says, her price is far above rubies. This is a rare woman to find. It's even rare among so-called Christian women. The man who is blessed with a godly wife is richer than a king. That's what the statement is telling us. The statement also suggests that if a godly, charactered, virtuous, wise woman could be bought, the price would be so great that most men could never afford her. Again, Proverbs 19, 14 told us that she is indeed a gift from Almighty God. Notice in verse number 30 again, the second verse, we're toggling back and forth between two verses. And in between is the description of these two. Notice in verse 30, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that, what's the word? Feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. What does it mean to fear the Lord? What does it mean in daily experience, the woman who's going to be praised? It doesn't say she's going to be the next American idol. It doesn't mean she's going to be Hollywood's harlot of the week. But the woman that is going to receive genuine praise from God and from others who love God and recognize God on her, it says it'll be a woman who fears the Lord. But what does it mean to fear the Lord? In your mind, you don't have to turn there, but you can go back to Exodus chapter number 20. And I believe this gives incredible um, support in helping us understand what it means to fear the Lord. In fact, if you're going to understand much of Proverbs, you've got to understand that concept of fearing God. But back in Exodus 20, after God gave the Ten Commandments, it tells us that the people perceived thunderings and lightnings and the sound of this trumpet and the mountain smoking, and the people, they became afraid. And they trembled and they stood afar off and they said to Moses, Moses, you, you speak to us, Moses. You let God talk to you. You talk to us. We don't want God to speak to us because we're afraid we might die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test you, to prove you. And that the fear of God may be before your eyes. Why? So that you may not sin. We need to meditate on that passage. Do not fear. You're being proved. You're being tested. And you only pass God's test if you don't fear. Yet God desires that the fear of God be always before your eyes. But you pass the test by not fearing, but only fearing the Lord. See, the text provides distinctions necessary to make sense out of all this. 
The fear that Moses was telling them to get rid of was the fear. Listen, the fear. The fear that some have in here this morning. And that's the fear of getting too close to God. That's what the people had. We don't mind the preacher Moses talking to us. But don't tell me to have my hour with God. Don't don't you stay on me about discipleship. What they're saying is we don't want to get too close to God. And Moses is telling them, you better get rid of your fear of getting too close to God. The fear that Moses wanted them to keep before their eyes was that God is fearfully powerful and he's opposed to sin. You know how people who are in sin make themselves feel good about sin? They point out the sin that they're not in. Well, it was just flirtation. I didn't. Leave my husband. Well, it was just cheating. I didn't kill a person. And we begin to realize we've created our own religion. In fact, idolatry is not worshiping an idol of stone. It's creating an idea of God in your mind that's not true to the God of the Bible. See, if you're running from God because you're afraid of him, then you're not yet as afraid as you ought to be. In fact, your very running from God is mockery of God, presuming that you could outrun God. Just like Jonah, he got into a ship. Why? The Bible says to run from the presence of the Lord. And he found no matter where the ship went, God was right there. No matter where he went in the sea, God was there. No matter where he was in the belly of the well, God was there. You can't outrun the presence of God. You're making a mockery of God and your knowledge of God by attempting to run from God. You can sleep through this message, but you're not going to sleep through your appointment with God. By the way, if I put you to sleep, it's only fair that I wake you up. I'll chuck a hymnal at you if I have to. The fear of the Lord is the fear of running from God. The fear of the Lord is the fear of enjoying the sin that Jesus died for. A woman who fears the Lord will not run away from God to satisfy her longings and relieve her anxieties and find a way to escape. You know, the old commercial, Calgon, take me away. And many a woman is running and escaping from the reality that you are made for God. And so, the woman that will change Solomon's life is the woman who fears God. What does a woman who fears the Lord look like? How could you identify a woman who fears the Lord? What does she look like in action? In Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, that's what the intent is, to give us what is a woman like who fears the Lord. And I'm not going to go through every one of these, but, but they're right there. But I will mention four. Four things. To celebrate the women who fear the Lord. To challenge every woman to fear the Lord. To command as Bathsheba did her son, young men, this is the woman. This is the the, the wife. This is the person 
that you ought to pursue. Notice in verse 25. Proverbs 31, verse 25. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. What does the fear of the Lord look like? Well, first of all, she doesn't fear tomorrow's troubles. She's not anxious about tomorrow. A woman who fears the Lord is not anxious about the future. What are we going to do if COVID comes back? I'm going to trust God and obey, leave the consequences to Him. What if something worse than COVID comes? Oh, it will. There's going to be something a lot worse than a virus. In fact, the Bible says that there is an adversary. The devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't come out just when they make a a movie about vampires and witches. He doesn't just come out as a little costume on children during Halloween time. No, he's a real adversary. And the moment you think that he's not affecting me, he's affecting you. So yeah, something worse is coming. And Satan always dangles in front of our ladies, and this is the emphasis here, that specter of tomorrow's troubles. But the, the woman who fears the Lord, she glances up at that temptation, that, that proned outlook to look at tomorrow's problems and, 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 and let that overwhelm her. But she glances up rather from tomorrow's troubles and unknowns and she looks up at the almighty God and she laughs at Satan's follies. That's what verse 25 is saying. She rejoices in time to come. She, she fulfills her own life. Proverbs 14, 26, And the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and, in his, and his children shall have a place of refuge. See, when a woman fears the Lord, she's not going to be anxious about tomorrow. She will do what God has appointed for her to do. Her fear of the Lord makes her fearless of man. We heard about that this week. What is it that's going to cripple faith? Fear. If I do this, then this person is going to get upset. Fear God. And when you fear God, you won't be anxious about what may happen tomorrow. But it doesn't make her naive. She knows that the Lord has appointed some trials and struggles and troubles. But she also knows that the Lord is her strong tower and safety. So... A a, a woman who fears the Lord is one that doesn't fear tomorrow's troubles. A second thing about a woman who fears the Lord is that she has practical wisdom. Notice in verse 26, she openeth her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. We've been taught from grade school that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it's no surprise, it ought not be of any surprise that the woman who fears the Lord when she opens her mouth is full of wisdom. And isn't there a very close connection between a practical and a gracious wisdom and freedom from the anxiety about the future? In other words, the wisest people I know are the people who hope in the Lord and they've quieted their soul. But the people who are the most anxious, most tense, fretful about tomorrow, those are the people that I tend not to listen to. Because when you're fearful, Vince Lombardi said, fear makes cowards of all of us. 
When you're fearful, you lose sight of what's wise. I want you to see a third thing about a woman that fears the Lord in verse number 25 back there. Uh, strength and honor are her clothing. She's strong. She's a strong woman. Verse 17 speaks of that as well. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. I believe the emphasis there is she's morally strong. She's got a strong constitution. She may be weak physically because of the stage in her life, because of the ailment, the disease, the, the effects on her body, but her inner constitution, she's a woman of strength. The woman who continues in the fear of the Lord will have power to resist all the allurements that Satan has to throw at her. The fear of the Lord will also increase her intellectual strength. Not just moral strength, but her intellectual strength. The fear of the Lord is the impulse to wisdom. And it causes the mind to search for knowledge as for hidden treasure. The fear of the Lord will even increase, listen, physical strength. Who doesn't need some physical strength? Usually you think you find that in a vitamin bottle, but you find it in the fear of the Lord. One of the reasons we let our bodies languish and get weak and out of tone and let our bodies go is because we get bored or we feel no excitement or we have no hope about the future. What's the use? But the woman who fears the Lord is confident hopeful, eager to enter the future with God on her side. And this kind of hope, it always gives us some energy, some vigor, some pep, and it increases the strength of even the weakest among us. I want you to see a last characteristic. And this is the last one and I'm done. She's a woman who fears the Lord. She is not only one that doesn't Fear tomorrow's troubles. She's not only one that has practical wisdom. She's not only one who is strong. But she's a woman who is trustworthy. Trustworthy. Notice verse number 11. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil the majority of the days of her life. All the days of her life. It's saying that her husband can rely on her this excellent wife that, that Bathsheba is describing for her son Solomon. He will, she will rather complete him and complete confidence in him. One of the things that we seem to work with the men the most. And perhaps it's because God has helped me or dealt with me the most about the area of insecurity. I didn't realize I was insecure until I was about 
I think it was about 30. And it was only because no one ever told me. I didn't realize what insecurity looked like. I didn't realize what it, no one, I don't even know if I ever heard the word really used in, a, in an applicable way. But insecurity is a result many times of your upbringing. And we have a society that is constantly producing people, young people, turning into adults who never had real leadership in the home. It wasn't until I was working there at Falls Baptist Church, and I've said before, but struggling, trying to do ministry and, and trying to manage and, and not recognizing why am I struggling with my failure? Why can't I bounce back whenever there's mistakes? And I was thinking, I'm trying to get to a point where I don't mess up. I don't have to have these cleanups on, on aisle uh, evangelism or aisle counseling or aisle whatever. And I'm constantly messing up and, and I just couldn't bounce back from it. And one day walking down the hallway, I knew it was of the Lord. Pastor Van was there on a Thursday on his day off. He's never there on his day off and walked by me just, 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 the mild Pastor Van Gelderen looked at me and said, Ingram, if you don't kick that insecurity in the teeth, you're never going to make it. I said, now where's everyone been all my life? Because you don't know what you don't know. But God began to put me on the journey to recognize my insecurity was finding my identity in everything but Jesus. And Bathsheba is telling her son Solomon, you get the right woman, she will help you with your confidence. She will complete your confidence. She's not going to destroy it. She's going to be gentle with your security factor. He knows that her heart is completely, this, this man will know that the, the excellent wife, the virtuous wife, he knows that her heart is completely devoted to him. This virtue, this virtue alone, this characteristic that she has of trustworthiness, this alone, there's no price that's too high. Her blessed husband never has to worry about her fidelity. Robert Dawson said, a godly wife and a mother looks to and cares for her husband's well-being. She is a woman who, because of her godly character, commitment, and integrity, has earned her husband's trust and is a source of pride and security for him. Listen, this is Robert Dawson. He's not worried about her faithfulness to him. Horrible thing to never trust your spouse's fidelity. One that once uh, that trust is questioned or lost, it is difficult ever to gain again. She is a person, however, that he has entrusted his heart to and trust her with. He never questions her motives and he never doubts her word. He understands the nature of men. Dawson goes on to say that his wife will sometimes catch the eye of other men, but it doesn't necessarily bother him because in his heart, he knows that she would never betray him, never do anything to hurt him or cause him shame. She will always act in his best interest. His heart is secure in her lifelong faithfulness. All the days of her life, she will be good to him for him. Verse 11 says, a trustworthy wife satisfies him and makes him content. 
Indeed, she enriches his life, enhances his esteem, meets his need. She completely fulfills him. He is settled, stabled, and most satisfied with her. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says this kind of wife, referring to verse 12, this kind of a woman is an asset, not a liability to her husband. Good comes to him that can be directly attributed to her. She supports and encourages him, and she is faithful in helping him all her life. Tony Evans. Some of you may recall Tony Evans. You hear Tony Evans, you know it's Tony Evans. And he said of verse 10, 11, and 12, you can marry a pretty woman, you can marry a rich woman. But many a man has been disappointed when he discovered that the elegance he saw on the outside did not match with what was on the inside. So marry a wise woman of noble character who loves God. And Evan says, don't let her go. An excellent woman is one who knows how to grab heaven and apply it to earth so that life becomes better for everyone under her influence, but especially her husband. See, a woman who fears the Lord will not squander the family's livelihood on frivolous purchases. And that's what she's talking about here in her spending. But more than that, more, far more important than financial support is the moral support, ladies, of your husband. Verse 23, notice what this verse says. And I remember reading this and thinking this kind of seems out of place. But notice, she maketh or rather, verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. I thought it kind of seemed out of place in a song of praise to women. But again, I'm reminded that the audience here is a young man whose understanding is that I find a godly woman. I find a woman who fears God more than anything else. And what he's telling us is a wife who fears the Lord, it increases the success and the esteem of her husband. How is that a word of praise to the wife who fears the Lord? How is this going to help the husband? Because God moves in on the scene. God gave Adam responsibility, created, created Adam first, gave him responsibility, and gave him a wife to complete him. And when he tends to the wife's needs and the wife tends to her husband's needs, then the husband able, is able to do and make impact far outside the home because that's the way God has intended. A wife who fears the Lord increases the esteem of her husband at the gates of the city. Dear wife, have you ever done or said anything in public that would have caused your husband to be ashamed? Does your husband have your absolute trust as the representative of what your family stands for? Does your husband see you as the crown to his head and the signet ring to his right hand? I pray that every wife here will, under God, give that kind of support to your husband. All ladies... All ladies should aspire to the woman described in this passage. The only reason why you would look down and disdain this passage is because you probably don't know the God who wrote it. The godly wife is a model, a pattern for every woman to follow. 
Wives and mothers in our modern world will not do everything exactly as this woman did because of modern technology and different things and just the change in culture from our, our Western culture mindset and all these things. But with the passing of time, we need to remember that virtues never change. Godly character is timeless. We may perform our tasks different. We may perform uh, tasks in different ways, but principles that guide us are all to be the ones modeled and treasured by this wife and mother. Let me ask you, do you want to be trustworthy, ladies? Would you make the following commitment? This will help you. Make the commitment that you will never behave in any way that would cause your husband to doubt your devotion. If you're not married, ladies, live in such a way that would never cause your dad. You say, I don't have a dad. Well, if you did, and if you're saved, you have a heavenly dad. And never act in a way that's unbecoming of a lady of God. But behave in a way that would cause your husband to never doubt your devotion. Number two, guard your conduct and never give any signals, never give any signals to other men that could be interpreted as interest in them or availability to them. With that, always dress tastefully and modestly. Never wear anything that is suggestive or revealing. Now, just, just say this in passing because we're about done. And you've already got your money's worth. But it's sad when we have to talk about how saved, godly, so-called women ought to be dressing. I'm not, I'm not talking, I'm not, I'm not going to even go to how you dress at home. I'm talking about how you dress in God's house. You wear whatever you want to wear in your house. That's between you and God, and you will stand before God. But what about God's house? And, and, I, and I say to myself, why, why is it that I, I've got to keep diverting my eyes this way and look this way? You say, are you having lust-filled thoughts? No, I'm having nausea. And I'm saying, where are the women who are not coming out of the woodwork helping other young women know how to dress in God's house? Where are the husbands who ought to be concerned about their wives that their wives are not parading their bodies for some other man? Listen, some of you ladies, you don't ever have to worry about going to get an ultrasound because the way some of you dress, I can tell you what you're going to have. And that shouldn't be done. That should never be done. Listen, if you're a size 10X, don't try to wear 5X clothing. If you're small, don't wear extra small. And to see some, listen, when, you, when, when, when you're expecting, there is maternity section and it shouldn't look like what some Hollywood harlot on a billboard would be wearing. You say, I don't know, I'm not going to wear a moo-moo. Well, it works for the cow. Have you ever seen how some come in? I mean, it looks like took saran wrap and tried to wrap up cottage cheese. You say, I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm telling you, you go to bed at night, you don't have much more to take off. It's, it's sickening. It's an abomination. 
God help us. Should have put that in at the beginning. It would have kept you awake. Number next. Don't have any contact with other men. Well, I got to work with them. Find another line of work. Don't have contact with other men that could be interpreted as questionable or out of place. You sit in the marriage breakup discussions like I sit in. And you sit in there and you listen to them. And you won't begin to say, you're making a big deal. I'm telling you, God made it a big deal. And when you sit and laugh and you think it's cute and you minimize it, and you talk about how old it is and how far past, you're making a mock at sin and only fools make a mock at sin. Number next, do not playfully discuss other men with your friends. Number next, don't complain about your husband to others, not even to close friends or family members. And ladies, stop criticizing, belittling your husband to other ladies in here in the name of prayer request. Our world is drowning in a sea of immorality. The scripture values of God's holy commandments have been forgotten in many societies today. Wedding vows are no longer sacred. A wedding ring and other symbols of marriage are no longer an indication that a man or woman is available to others. Many use the excuse, my hand's swollen. Well, tape it with duct tape if you have to around your finger. Music, television, movies, books, all forms of media and communication now glorify adultery and promote it as normal behavior in society. More than ever, we must be devoted to our spouses and carefully guard ourselves. We need to resolve never to say or do anything that would cast doubt on our commitment to our marriages. As a wife, you need to be attentive to your husband's needs and be sure that he is completely fulfilled through his relationship with you. If not, there will be a longing for something that God put in his heart and he will look elsewhere. It's not right to look elsewhere. I'm just telling you, you hold the key. And husbands, you hold the key. Your wife needs you to love her as Christ loved the church. And there's really no wiggle room on that one. And the Bible says in Ephesians 5 and verse 33 that the wife is to respect her husband unconditionally. See, the idea is I'll respect him when he earns it. He's not to love you if you earn it because you'll never earn it. Christ didn't love us when we earned it. You love as Christ loved unconditionally. And wives, you respect as unconditionally. Unconditionally. You say, I don't like it. Do you, want to, do you want your husband to love you as Christ loved the church? Then you respect him unconditionally. Husbands, do you want to be respected unconditionally? Then you love her as Christ loved the church. In conclusion... As a wife who's wise, when you love the Lord, you're committed to your spouse. But husbands, children, does your wife, mother display any trustworthiness?
Does she display any diligence in her calling? Any nurturing care towards her children? Any wisdom toward her neighbors? Any generosity towards the poor? Those are all just things I didn't touch on in Proverbs 31. If so, you have reason without insecurity to give warm, thoughtful, specific praise to your wife and to your mother as a woman who deserves to be praised. Praise her in public. Praise her in private. Praise with her and praise without her. Praise her to the kids, to the neighbors, to your friends. Praise her for better or for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do you part. And expect that as you do, you will grow more and more in your wife. When you praise her, she will grow more and more praiseworthy. Let's stand together, please.